Greetings, my fellow NBA and cannabis enthusiasts. Welcome to the NBA Cannabis Podcast, where we will discuss the hottest topics around the National Basketball Association and the cannabis world. Whether you're a casual fan or a fanatic, I'm excited to share these events with you. So get comfortable, because we have some interesting stories to share. So for our first story today, we have a thriller that took place on the 31st in Washington, uh, where you have the the Nets versus the Wizards, you know, KD versus, you know, Russ. And throughout the game, um, it was competitive, I will say. Um, it was more of a shootout in general. And the only reason why towards the end of the game they even had an opportunity to win was Russell Westbrook. That's not something I can say all the time, you know. So... In the first half, Twitter user Rob Perez, Worldwide Wobe, he tweeted a video of Bradley Beal kind of looking like looking like he hadn't really been. He, he wasn't. He wasn't checked into the offense much of at all. He was really standing around, and he tweeted the video of Bradley Beal standing around in the first half. So as a, as a, as a great wife, um, Bradley Beal's wife came to his defense during the game. Um, her tweet was, make sure that, uh, to Worldwide Wobe, make sure you tweet about the second half because he did look kind of bad in the first half, but following the second half, he woke up. And towards the end of the game, um, Bradley Beal came up the court and he pulled up for a three from maybe four or five feet behind the line to cut it to two. Then Joe Harris throws a, a very rushed inbound pass. He seemed to be nervous. And he throws it, and one of the Wizards players catches it, steals it instantly, throws it over to Russell, and Russell hits a game fucking winner, literally, which is crazy. It was still time left on the clock. Um... The Nets, they drew up two plays. Neither plays worked. And so, yeah, honestly, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, they, they stole that game. Some of the other tweets that Bradley Beal's wife said, she said, um, corny response from a corny reporter. I expected nothing less. Carry on, worldwide clown. Whoa. <laughs> we love drama. But... Yeah, on both sides, you know, you are an NBA player. You're going to face criticism, whatever. And for his wife, you know, that's his wife. Uh, they love each other. So, of course, you're not going to let somebody slander your husband on the web. So she responded to that, which was so cool, honestly. And let's see, the next one, she's starting to respond to other people on Twitter. Um, Drew Hanlon says big shout out to Kamari Adams her trash talking game is elite and her savagery is next level respect I wholeheartedly agree with that and she says too bad they can't really get the real the real cam like you've seen gotta keep it somewhat cute (laughs) and her last tweet was my response to all my mentions 34.9 points per game enjoy y'all night arguing with y'all selves I I love it. I stand the pettiness. I stand the statistics to back it up. All in all, great exchange. Couldn't have done it better myself, honestly. 
Next, on February 1st, you had the Lakers playing the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. And you had what she's being known as now is courtside Karen over there heckling LeBron. So originally it started out as her husband shit-talking LeBron courtside. It started at about eight minutes left in the fourth, which probably isn't the best idea to be talking shit to the best player on the planet while they're currently smacking that ass at a team that you support. Probably not the best idea. But hey, everybody does them. But originally, LeBron and the husband were going back and forth. And then his wife chimed in like, don't fucking talk to my husband like that. And all that. And, wow, I don't know if I've seen anything funnier so far this season, especially since there haven't been any fans in the stands or anything like that. So, honestly, it was pretty funny, to say the least. And it turns out that the husband, he's a, of course, he's a longtime Atlanta Hawks fan, and he probably is a longtime LeBron hater as well. On his Instagram, he posted a picture of back in the day, um, the 2017 season, I believe, he posted a picture of him courtside with LeBron sitting on an announcer table, and he's like, oh, this big dude almost sat on my phone in my wallet. And another post, he posted, you can see in my eyes that I don't like LeBron, etc., etc. So he's, he's a LeBron hater. But in the end, sadly, they got kicked out. Um, LeBron said that he didn't really believe that it warranted them being kicked out. He also said, I love the fans, but I don't take that kind of talk from anybody. That's a Capricorn. You know, we don't do that. There's a line that should never be crossed. She came at me with blatant disrespect. So I told them to sit their ass down. I thought I was talking to a father and a daughter until she started calling him husband. I was stunned. And as we all, all, well, as everybody else is stunned that later, I won't even post the clip. I'm pretty sure everybody's heard it already. But the clip of her ranting on Instagram about what happened, she says she's 25. And, you know, we're not going to get on here and slander any women whatsoever. But I have no, I, I have no idea. I can't say if she's 25. I can't say if she's not 25. I really can't even tell. All I know is that I guess LeBron had the wrong one. Maybe maybe we're not seeing courtside Karen's side. Uh, maybe LeBron really did have her fucked up. And so rightfully, she just defending her husband. But all in all, no matter what, that shit is fucking hilarious. She's on following the game. She's on Instagram, you know, mad, of course, and talking about the situation. But oh my gosh, yeah. But in the end, LeBron got the last laugh. Um, They won that game. And while at the start of that, they were up eight. um, Eventually, they closed that game out with a score of 107 to 99, with LeBron having 21, 7, and 9. So in the end, King James gets the last laugh. But it's us as the fans in the community that gets to eternally laugh at this for the next few days. But we'll be right back after this quick break. 
I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for today's video. Um, give them a follow on Instagram at cookie underscore buddy underscore munchie. I know, you know, some people aren't fans of dogs, but these dogs are really special to me. They've put a lot of they've put a lot into into me in this show. So I just want to give them, a, a, you know, some recognition here. Uh, they're located on Instagram and you can find their Instagram in my link tree in my bio on Instagram. Um, thank you. Now back to the show. Next, we're talking about the power rankings for week seven of the NBA season through the date of February 1st. Um, here we go again. In the last 21 years, the Eastern Conference has had a winning record in interconference games only once. That was in the 08-09 season when the East went 231-219 to against the West. In each of the last 21 seasons, the West has been better, as we know. And we're almost certainly going to make it 21 of 22. Only 96 of the 450 interconference games have been played thus far. But the West has already built a big advantage, going 59 and 37 through the first six weeks of the season. That would be the West's fourth best mark of the last 22 years and the best since 2013-2014. Through January, only six East teams are at or above 500. In the West, there are 10 teams no worse than 9-9. And the discrepancy could get bigger. With the shortened season, the league removed in-conference games rather than interconference games. In a normal season, interconference game account for 37% of all games played. This season, they account for 42. So get ready for a lot more. Over the last five weeks of the first half of the schedule, the league's 30 teams are scheduled to play more games against the opposite conference than they are against their own. And this week's schedule features a tasty TNT doubleheader on Tuesday, today. Clippers are next, Celtics and Warriors. The Celtics will also visit the Clippers on Friday and the Suns on Sunday. Speaking of the Clippers, they're the first team to unseat the Lakers at the top of the power rankings. But we will get to that. So at number one, we have the L.A. Clippers with a record of 16-5. and five. They're doing pretty well. I feel like nobody is necessarily surprised that they're doing, well, that they're winning, actually. They actually won a couple games without Kawhi and Paul George. That was pretty noteworthy this week due to health and safety protocols. But no matter what, we just want to see that happen in the playoffs. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts, no bias, just do it in the playoffs. At number two, you have the Philadelphia 76ers with a record of 15-6. and six. They've been playing pretty well, honestly. Um, Joel has put them on his back, you could say. He's having a all-NBA MVP season so far, so definitely proud of what they're doing. But just like the Clippers, we just need to see them do it in the playoffs, I'm still not sold that this team is very much different than it has been in the past. Besides Joel, I guess, playing more games, being more consistent. But overall, I'm not seeing how they're that much better. So hopefully that works out for them. At number three, you have the Lakers at 15-6. and six. The Lakers are still the number one defense, and they had just beat the Celtics as well couple days ago but all in all I feel like they're they have a new team they have a, a not all the way new but they have a lot of new players so 
it's actually scary that they're still the number one defense in the league and they blow maybe 10 to 15 uh, rotations a game on the defensive end. So as the season progresses, you're going to see them lock more in on the defensive end, which can they do that? I mean, they're number one in defensive rating, but of course. And also, lately, AD has been a little... Uh, I won't even say he's hasn't been a non-factor, but man, it's crazy the standard that we what we hold them to. But all in all, I personally don't feel like he's been fully there on the defensive end. A couple games I've seen him just, you know, look lost in a way. So that has led to LeBron literally detonating in all these games he's playing. Maybe not necessarily scoring, but He's definitely having his imprint all over the game. At four, you have the Denver Nuggets at 12 and eight. I can't even say anything else that Joker is so far putting on an MVP caliber season. I personally would take him as MVP over Embiid if we're just counting senders. I personally would take him over Embiid just at the fact that this man is averaging a triple-double. And I'm not going to say his team sucks, but... He really hasn't had any consistent help lately outside of Michael Porter Jr. coming back. Jamal Murray has been pedestrian. Gary, and I'm not even going to name anybody else. For the most part, nobody else has been that consistent. Joker literally has just been putting that team or the whole city of Denver on his back. Next, we have the Utah Jazz, and they're at 15-5. and five. They had an 11-game winning streak, if I remember right. So they were... Definitely have been playing well. You have Mitchell doing his thing, and you have Gobert still being Rudy Gobert. Uh, a person who I personally believe has stepped up and gotten to a new height is Jordan Clarkson. He's definitely been very explosive off the bench with his scoring. But uh, not to be biased, but sadly their winning streak was snapped by the Denver Nuggets on the back of Jokic with a 47-point game, which was truly a great game. At six, you have the Brooklyn Nets at a pace, I mean, not a pace, with a record of 13-9. and nine. They aren't playing defense. That's really it. They have, right now, they have an all-time offense, and they have an all-time terrible defense. Um, I can't really say anything else about that. The, the stats on that is the Nets, since the Harden trade, they have 122 offensive rating, best in the league and would be the best of all time. But they have an 119 defensive rating, which would be worst in the league and worst of all time. So, I mean, the Nets can score with the best of them, but I don't think they could guard me on that court. So, hey, power to them. I'm sure no matter what, they're going to figure that out towards as the year progresses but yeah so next we have wow my outro just played right there and it caught me off guard but next we have the milwaukee bucks with a record of 11 and 8 uh i still don't watch a lot of bucks games i watch the couple that are on national tv they're still not all that fun you know yana still is doing the same things but not hating but, uh, yeah, I'm not really seeing 
the I'm not seeing the hype still. At number eight, you have the Memphis Grizzlies at eight and six. They have been fighting with a lot of COVID protocols, so it's good to see them getting back on the court. Um, you have John Morant still being John Morant, and I'm pretty sure the Grizzlies have yet to have Jaron Jackson play this season. So definitely watch out. They're a well-built team. They have a really great front office. So I really believe they're poised for success. Not necessarily no title or nothing like that, but they're definitely a young team that's going to people are going to have to look out for in the future. At 9, we have the Boston Celtics at 10 and 8. They are just getting Jason Tatum back last week. So they're it's just good to see them back and healthy on the court. No more Rona. So they should, you know, improve from where they're at. You have Jalen Brown definitely taking that leap, which I don't know if I would say a leap because he was almost kind of snubbed as an all-star last year. But he's definitely improved, and he definitely has taken a lot more initiative in the absence of Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker. And so at 10, you have the Phoenix Suns at 10 and 8. Last night, I'm pretty sure that was, Booker hit a go-ahead three to win the game. Uh, a play set up very nicely by Chris Paul. So I'm still I'm still pretty high on the Suns. I have them in the playoffs, which I'll get to soon. Um, but all in all, I like what I've seen from DeAndre Ayton. I like what I've seen from Devin Booker. And I like what I've seen from Chris Paul and everybody else so far, especially Mikael Bridges. Like, if that's one player who I will highlight for the Suns, it is Mikael Bridges. That man picks up the best offensive player every night, every single night. He is you. I think he right now in the league. I don't know any three. I don't know any other players that are as a great representation of a 3 and D player, but he's improved his shot, and he takes the challenge every single night. So, shouts out to Mikael Bridges. Next, we have the Spurs at 11 with a record of 11 and 9. You have Golden State at 12 with a record of 11 and 9. You have the Pacers at 13 with a record of 11 and 9. You have the Blazers at 14 at 10 and 8. You have the Hawks at 10 and 9 at 15. You have Houston at 9 and 9. I just want to highlight their nickname for their trio, Waladipo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Whoever came up with that probably should trademark it. I don't know. But who's to say that they even stay and that the, the nickname even gets a chance to grow? But Waladipo, again, that's quite interesting. At 17, you have the Charlotte Hornets at 9 and 11. At 18, you have Dallas at 8 and 12. New York at 9 and 12. At 19, 20, if in the league, Oklahoma City Thunder at 8 and 10. Toronto at 8 and 12. Miami at 7 and 12. Cleveland 9 and 11. Chicago 7 and 11. New Orleans 7 and 11. The Kings 8 and 11. The Magic eight and thirteen, and the Pistons fifteen and five, and the bottom feeders. You know, you got the Timberwolves and the Wizards. Not even gonna go into them. They barely even play NBA basketball. Which let me not slander the Wizards. They definitely hit had a great game against the Nets, but 
that's their fourth win. That's their fourth fucking win. And two of the wins have came against the Nets, which the Nets are good. But, you know, Russell seems to only bring it for real against his old teammate, which that statement isn't true. Russell definitely brings it every night. But it's a question of whether him bringing it is a positive for the team or a negative. But next... We have my way too early, emphasis on way too early playoff predictions. So in the Eastern Conference, we have Philly at one, the Bucks at two, Brooklyn at three, Boston at four, Indy at five, and the Hawks at six. So we know with the new play-in tournament and all that, that first six teams are a lock and you don't have to fight for your spot or anything. So, I still see the Sixers. I definitely see the Sixers staying up at the top. Not necessarily one, but my lock for that those first six teams, I would say, would be Philly, the Bucks, the Nets, the Celtics, the Pacers. In that last spot with the Hawks, I don't know. Like, I can't necessarily say if they would stay there or not, but... Let's just give it, let's let's leave that top five as my lock. So next at six, you have the Hawks, Cleveland at seven, Charlotte at eight, the Bulls at nine, and New York at ten. That's crazy. All four of those teams have been asked the past couple years, but that's just a testament to them staying with it, developing their talent, or their young players as well. So that's definitely a testament to that. Um, Toronto is at 11. Orlando is at 12. Miami is at 13. Detroit's... Actually, I don't see Detroit or the Wizards making the playoffs whatsoever. So I feel like Miami, they hadn't had Jimmy Butler play for a good amount of time. So I definitely see Miami squirming their way up here. They're not even too far behind right now. The sixth seed has 10 wins and they have seven. So they're not too far out. So for that for that sixth spot, I will say for my because I have to say it in stone. I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that Miami finds their way back up to the at least the top eight or the original playoffs. I definitely see them squeezing back in there. Um so my locks for the playing game, I'm hoping for my locks for the playing games are the Hawks and the Knicks. A hundred percent. I I don't I'm not gonna say that they're gonna be good enough to break into that top six as soon as the other teams get rolling, but I feel like they have enough talent to get into the playing games for sure. And between the Bulls, the Hornets, and the Cavs. I don't know if I see the Cavs still staying up there. Not to be a not to be a hater, but I just don't believe they would be able to consistently bring that. I see Toronto making the play in or the Magic as well. Where mm, I won't necessarily, I can't give a definitive answer, but Toronto at some point, whether they make a move or you know somebody wakes up on that team. Um. Yeah, I can see them getting it together. But with the start that they had at the beginning of the season, they've definitely... The only only place you could go from there is up. 
So kudos to them. Glad they're figuring something out. But let's move on to the West. So at one, you have L.A., two, Utah, three, L.A. The Clippers were at one and the L.A. At, or Lakers at three. Memphis at four, Denver at five, Phoenix at six. So I really believe that most people are going to be taking the Grizzlies out of that top six. Um, I They're a talented team. They're definitely being pushed or their catalyst is John Morant. So I believe that they will go as far as he takes them. But my lock for that top six is going to be both of the L.A. teams, Utah, Denver, Phoenix. And I can see, I can definitely see Golden State squeezing their way into that top six. This is Steph Curry we're talking about. This may differ from my original slander towards the end, the beginning of this pod season, but... Um, the Warriors are winning games. Uh, when Draymond came back, they definitely had a boost in their defense, and he's been coaching up Jameis Wiseman. So I definitely believe that they will be that they're they're figuring it out for sure. I don't see them making any moves, but yeah, I'm gonna throw Golden State in that top six. Um, and who I see dropping probably Memphis. So for that last four seven to ten, right now you have Golden State. The Trailblazers, Houston, and San Antonio. I a lock for the play in. I'm gonna say San Antonio. They didn't miss. They missed the playoffs last year, um, and I don't see Greg Popovich is still alive, still prospering. So I don't see them missing the playoffs two years in a row. They definitely have a younger team than they're, what they're used to. So yeah, the sky is limits on there. Honestly, uh, Pop is a great coach. Highlight some players. I really like DeJounte Murray on the Spurs. Great point guard on both ends of the floor. So they're a definite lock for the play-in for me. Another lock, uh, Portland, because even though every year they fight through the injury bug, i.e. C.J. McCollum hurt right now, Yusuf Nurkic hurt right now, they always, Dame is enough to find their way into the playing games. And they would squeeze their way into the playoffs before you had an extra two slots. So I'm not going to count them out. The Houston Rockets, with again, I'm going to have to say it every time I mention them, Waladipo. I, I might hop on that train. I might hop on that train. I like Christian Wood. I like Oladipo. I... I won't say that I like that he wanted out of Indy, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Whether he stays in Houston, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I see them. I see them making the playoffs. Them boys down there, the people who were there with Harden, they ain't touched the ball in damn near four years, you know. So, hey, them boys are trying to get some PT and get in the playoffs. So, uh, I'm going to have them in the play-in, honestly. So for those bottom four, oh man, and that's what's crazy. I didn't even mention Dallas or whatnot in any of this. So Dallas right now, or at 11 you have Sacramento, at 12 you have OKC, at 13 you have Dallas, at 14 and 15 you have New Orleans and the Timberwolves. Uh, The Timberwolves suck and New Orleans has zero spacing, so I don't see them making any real noise or anything like that. But Dallas... Dallas, get that man Lucas some help. Get that man Lucas some consistent help. Um, 
I saw a stat that was like they have a losing streak of 12 games of when losing by single digits. I don't want to say it's by one-ish point, but yeah, they're they're currently struggling. KP definitely isn't at that star potential that we've seen from him previously. And as we knew, as people speculated when he was traded to New York, they, I mean, they were worried about his injury history, honestly. He's a 7'3 dude with injuries to his lower body. That's never a good sign to be winning. But Luka Magic, man, Luka Magic. I, I still see them figuring something out. I could see them taking the spot of Houston. I could see them taking the spot of Houston, Portland, or the Spurs due to injuries. Like, if at some point, sadly... If they can, if they can stay healthy or they can figure out something with KP, then I definitely see them squeezing their way into the playoffs, or at minimum the play-in for sure. So let me go back over that so I can highlight these, or maybe I'll type them down. Locks for that top six: both LA's, Utah, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State. Lock for top six. Lock for top six in the East, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, Indy, and I guess that's a large thing to say, but I can see Miami definitely getting their way back in there for sure to that top six. Jimmy hasn't played, so that'll definitely propel them from the bottom feeder status that they're at right now, but we will be right back after a quick break. Welcome back. So for our cannabis segment this week, I raised the question to all of my listeners. If you know the difference between descheduling, decriminalizing, and legalizing, because I know anybody who indulges in cannabis would like for it to be federally legal, because who wants to go to jail? So again, I asked, do you know the difference? Between descheduling, also known as legalization, versus rescheduling, also known as decriminalization. And what I'll say is not all paths to legalization are created equal. The way legalization unfolds at the federal level will directly impact the type of industry cannabis will ultimately become. So first, rescheduling marijuana. There is a significant momentum and a push towards rescheduling. Rescheduling, however, would bring cannabis into the pure view of the FDA, a sphere already dominated by powerful pharmaceutical interests. It is no surprise, then, that industry groups standing to profit have already engaged their lobbyists to push legalization in the direction most beneficial for them. The rescheduling of marijuana to one of the other four categories would make it possible to regulate for medicinal purposes. Schedule 2 drugs are commonly known substances such as hydrocodone, Vicodin, methamphetamine, and an amphetamine, Adderall, and oxycodone, also oxycotton, which are, all of those are obtainable by prescription and monitored by a physician. So for descheduling marijuana, also known as legalization, which, well, I won't say that. 
Patients and user advocates agree that the plant is scheduled incorrectly as medically useless, but would prefer that it be removed from the drug schedule altogether. Most feel that cannabis should never have been connected to the Controlled, Controlled Substance Act, and the best solution is the total removal via descheduling. The descheduling of marijuana will protect those states that have legalized against federal enforcement. The benefits of descheduling include, but aren't limited to, an increase in tax revenue across the use of federally, federally regulated banks, criminal justice reform, and the dismantling of the illicit marketing. So, the question that I'll ask this week on Instagram is, which one do you believe is better? Let me know. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the NBA Canisora Podcast. Give us a follow on Instagram at N-B-A-C-A-N-N-A-I-S-S-E-U-R. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us on wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you again for listening.